0: Hello, welcome to The Counsellor and The Coach with myself, Peter Connolly.
1: And myself, Jeremy Coonan.
0: And today we're going to talk about the drama triangle, which is a theory that arose out of transactional analysis, which is always really difficult to say. Transactional analysis. Try it, it's fun. Um, and the drama triangle is essentially a way of thinking about sort of mindsets you get into in often difficult conversations or challenging situations, whether it be in family or work or any relationship. Am I right, Dermot?
1: I think so. And I suppose what I would like to start by saying is that this is not a blame issue, that sometimes when we describe these kind of structures, people use them against other people and say, "Oh, you're you're caught in the drama, drama triangle. Yeah. And really, it's important to say that if you find yourself in one of these roles, it's because of experiences you've had that draw you into those places. And the more we understand that, the more conscious we are of that, the more we let go of blame and actually try to accept that these things can happen, the more likely we are to be able to step out of that triangle.
0: Yeah, because one of the worst things I think you can do with a little bit of knowledge and I think in psychology this is one of the, the things that you can fall into, the traps you can fall into, is you become aware of things like personality types and uh, sets of behaviours and things like this where it identifies a an attitude. And either you start to see it in yourself and you start giving out to yourself and criticising yourself for being like that, or you see it in other people. Nearly worse, actually, that you start seeing it in other people and you start blaming them for that. Um, But the truth is, is these things evolve. We don't consciously evolve them. Um, They're just kind of roles, aren't they, that we sort of step into from time to time. And for the most, I think it's we do it fairly blindly.
1: And they are roles and they are self-perpetuating roles that come from... Experiences that may be abusive or very, very difficult. We could start maybe by talking about the three different corners to this mm-hmm. triangle.
0: Yeah, yeah the, the, I mean, the one that's considered the root is, is the victim. And the victim is not really an actual victim of a current trauma. It's not something like I've, I've, I've been a victim of a crime right now. Um, it's more that I've taken on the mindset of a victim. It's like maybe I was a victim of something long ago, but for whatever reason in this relationship right now, I'm starting to behave like a victim. And often as a victim, I'm looking for somebody else to look after me or take care of me.
1: So it is a lens through which we're seeing the current situation as victim. And as such, we are crying out for someone to possibly rescue us. Mm. We also might be looking for someone to affirm our victimhood through their persecution of us. yeah, And so that's the, the three sides to this, the victim, mm-hmm. the
0: rescuer, the
1: persecutor.
0: The thing about the, the victim is often it's looking for something so as not to have to deal with the actual emotions that we're dealing with right now. So instead of having to deal with the fact that I feel vulnerable, hurt, angry, Sad, fearful, any of those emotions, I often look to blame somebody else for it. And so you're doing this to me. And that way, then I might feel better. And the
1: codependency in, involved in this process is one in which I, as the rescuer, do not have to engage in my sadness, my vulnerability, my difficulties, because I see here is someone. Less well off than me, that I can rescue, mm-hmm. and in ways that makes me feel better about myself, and leaves my challenges, my vulnerabilities unresolved too.
0: What's interesting about the the rescuer role? So we have victim role, rescuer role, and persecutor role. But the rescuer role doesn't always require a victim. You know, this is interesting about it. People can fall into that role very very quickly. Um, and feel like they have to take care of others all the time. It's and it can become a the, habit.
1: And it's part of the counsellor role. Mm-hmm. A lot of counsellors, including myself, have something of a tendency of being a rescuer. Yeah. And yeah. W- with all these tendencies, we have to become conscious of them yeah. and to be c- become careful
0: about them. That's interesting. If, if you were to let the rescuer role take over as a counsellor, what, what would happen? I think there's
1: a danger of becoming a hero. Mm-hmm. I think there's a danger of creating a dependency on the part of your client. Right. Yeah. That they can't do anything without you. They have to call you first. They have to meet you first before they make a decision. Yeah. And you're denying them their independence. You're denying them their empowerment and their autonomy, which are essential parts of the work. counseling at its best has its built-in obsolescence Mm -hmm. we want to go in and be supportive at the start and really give a safe environment for the person to explore but to build up their confidence in their own problem solving skills and their own emotional coping skills emotional processing skills Mm -hmm. to a point where they don't actually need us so much anymore at all.
0: Yeah, so being a rescuer is almost the opposite of what you're really looking to to do. You're looking to facilitate independence, but the rescuer role, if you fall into it, actually facilitates dependence. This is it. So codependency,
1: in that sense, can happen within counselling, but counselling is supposed to be about providing a place where you can have adult interdependence, interdependence, where you can look to someone with some knowledge some understanding maybe some some structures to help problem solve help see it more consciously make choices a little earlier Mm -hmm. you know conscious choices and break out of that cycle so i guess good counseling is about helping people get out of the drama triangle and in that it's the victim becoming their own rescuer finding a way to rescue themselves We see this in couples' work, though, too. And I have a couple of examples in my own experience of the work whereby there are relationships founded on codependency, founded on the woman, in in the cases that I've seen, being in a place of distress, struggle, possibly with a history of abuse in in the cases I've seen. And a man coming in who seems competent and strong, Mm. certain direct, knows what he wants and he's the strong supportive type at first, as long as she remains in the victim role, as long as she remains subordinate Mm -hmm. she goes and does some therapeutic work, in the cases I've seen gains some confidence some independence some ability to see herself beyond her victim role, but her partner the rescuer, does not see himself beyond the rescuer role
0: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And goes and finds another woman to rescue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Leading to a relationship breakup where the rescuer again victimizes the person in the victim role and said, You were crazy, you were bad, you were wrong, mm-hmm. and you needed help and, and I even I couldn't help you. Mm-hmm. So a rejection that puts the person back in that role. I've seen that on a number of occasions. It's it's uh it is something which shows how the rescuer is not really a knight in shining armour. There's definitely a a shadow to that role too.
0: I I think it can happen even less extreme than that. I think think one of the challenges of, of romantic relationships is that early codependence that kind of happens naturally. And then you have to grow out of that and become independent to some degree of one another. But I think if you stay in a kind of a we rescue one another situation. Yeah. I remember uh, fr- friends of mine once said, we can't be sick together.
1: Okay. You know, we can't
0: be sick at the same time yes. because then one can't rescue the other. Uh-huh. One can't take care of the other. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. which, which is, to me, an indicator you, you haven't really found your independence in, in your relationship. Um, it's, it's interesting that I, I wonder what triggers the rescuer. What, what brings it out? in people is it sort of past experience I feel I can't deal with your being vulnerable and therefore I'll look after you is that do you think
1: I think there's many different ways in which it comes about and you know to again talk about codependency it means that the rescuer just as much needs a victim as the victim needs a rescuer and for me it is the idea that in both experiences There may have been a history where they've had very, very harsh experiences that they can't avoid. Mm. Maybe very strict parents towards abusive experiences as well, Mm. including Mm. those. For me, the victim role is I'm still in the experience of abuse. I haven't seen the end of the war. I visualize everything through that lens of the battles I've been in before and see everything defined as battles. Mm -hmm. And if you think of that almost as a planet, the planet of those abusive experiences, the victim is stuck on that planet. Mm-hmm. Orbiting that planet uh, as a reaction to it for me would be the rescuer. Right. The rescuer is saying, I'm reacting to this, I'm fighting back. Mm-hmm. But they're still orbiting because they're still in the gravity of the, the abusive experience. They're still stuck there. They can't get beyond it. They're reactionary to it. Yeah. So a yeah. rescuer is reactionary and still defined in ways. They might say they're defiant of the abusive experiences but defiant and defined by you know Mm -hmm. and for me again that definition process is is a very very difficult one that can lead people where there are two victims as you described at the Mm -hmm. same time to either one taking up a rescuing mode or resenting deeply the the other victim and not realizing that i'm more victim than they are yeah and and becoming a persecutor
0: I've, I've come across uh, the resentful thing uh, a couple of times working with uh, charitable organisations. I've come across a few caretakers in those situations. And caretakers to me, again, it's, it's that almost pathological caretaking where they've, well, I've been working with this organisation on a charitable basis for nothing for 20 years, but nobody really appreciates it. Mm-hmm. So that rescuer role has become almost martyr-like.
1: Yes, yeah. You know? So this is it. And it's interesting that that somewhere on, if there was an access between victimhood and rescuing, maybe there is martyrdom. Yeah. You know, yeah. that there's a sacrifice
0: being made there. I think it's important to, to point out that, that in, in small amounts, some of these uh, motivations and intentions are probably what stimulate us to be social and to take care of one another and they're not such a bad thing no it's more when it becomes pathological and it actually creates a dependence or creates a resentment Uh you know um so so i you know i've i've met people who they acknowledge it within themselves oh i'm i'm being too much of a caretaker i i need to let you yeah. make your own decision Brilliant. you know and, and it's like they realise okay I'm the type of person who tends to and honestly I'm that type of person I've made that mistake too many times in my life um, in fact I made a big one recently where I, I, I bailed somebody out of, of some work that in truth I wasn't really up to doing yeah. but i did it anyway yeah. and that was me caretaking yeah and and that's tendency so yeah so we have role where we're really
1: stuck in it mm. and then we have beyond that tendencies mm. Mm. and tendencies are towards greater consciousness of it yeah and and i can adjust towards it but i would see within the the role end of things you know abusive relationships where there might be a, a man being physically abusive of a woman again more typically than the other way around but happens on both sides mm-hmm. so just just for simplicity's sake I'm working off that direction uh, and they might be drunk and abusive at night on a Saturday and Sunday morning they've they've picked up the the flowers from the garage and they're coming back all romantic as the rescuer Mm -hmm. so shifting from persecutor to rescuer yes and that this is part of a romantic cycle within a relationship Mm -hmm. where they have these fiery breakups sometimes actually physically abusive described as fiery breakups in in very unfair ways uh, when actually they're just aggressive and violent and then moving from there to the fiery passionate makeups of rescuing Mm -hmm. with being treated so nice so how could someone who treats me so nice really have meant that do you know yeah and one way of explaining it is going to the third corner and saying well they act these ways they were so persecutory of me right then but that's because they've had such a hard life Mm. so i put them in a victim mode to explain it Mm -hmm. and then Look, they were so kind to me. Now shifting them into a rescuer mode, so we can mm. see this in relationships so as well. So they
0: almost bounce around yes. the three the three roles. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. the guy who first wrote about this, Car Karp- suggested that at the core of each role is victim. You know that that even the rescuer yeah. is a victim to some degree. Yeah. Um, and and I suppose I've learned to some degree from that mm. in my own marriage. You know, by looking at. You know, when do I fall into the trap, okay. you know, of being too much of a caretaker, too yeah. much of a victim? Uh-huh. You know, there are, to me, perfectly appropriate times where you take care of somebody. Um, but, you know, there are times where you're, you're doing it to such a degree that you're, you're either harming your own independence or that other person's independence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're not allowing that person room to breathe because that's, I think, often the rescuer and the persecutor, they they take away the room to breathe. And if you have a victim in the room with a group of people who's very victim-y, yeah. often they suck a lot of the air out of the room.
1: Absolutely. You know? The point you made there as well in relation to the victim uh, being someone who is in a position where they are defined by this experience and that the rescuer may... At its root have a victimhood to it as the persecutor may have comes back to the idea that this triangle is quite stifling and for me the reason why we want to support people to get out of the triangle is because this triangle is a denial of a caring attitude for my suffering
0: mm-hmm.
1: a loving acceptance of my vulnerable and flawed self in my struggles Mm -hmm. and when explaining this triangle to to some of my clients they i'm really really cautious and very much try to be sensitive with the words i use because even to hear it if i do find myself in the victim role a lot it can sound like oh that's my fault i've Mm -hmm. chosen that that's just me feeling sorry for myself
0: yeah
1: and so then no blame is so essential to the therapeutic process. It really is. It? And that we have some level of choice and some level of control to win back from this triangle. Mm-hmm. And when we win choice and control back from it, we may choose to look at ourselves with compassion, that we're, we're stuck in roles, we're being defined by experiences in the past and we're letting them presently define us. Mm-hmm. And it's happening so repetitively and so often unconsciously, that I don't really know who I am beyond this relationship. I don't know myself beyond it. So I feel the way out of the triangle is through a process that we talk about again and again in therapy, and that's the compassionate, emotional re experiencing of the core, original traumas, original stresses, original relationships where I was put in these kind of roles. Mm-hmm. And we meet my younger self, my former self, with care and compassion in that, allowing myself to feel all I do. And with that emotional expression, this time met with care and love and acceptance, I can then move to a place where I'm no longer defined by those experiences and I can start to make choices for my life. Mm -hmm. And I've seen people do this. And I feel that one definition that uh, really strikes me uh, you know, I think it was a Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. For me, it's, I choose, therefore I am. Mm-hmm. I consciously make choices. And that is myself now. Rather than in the drama triangle, I'm defined by the triangle, I'm defined by my past. So to get to personal definition involves conscious choice that accepts the fullness of myself, including my flawed vulnerable self that left me trapped in
0: this triangle previously so so i'm i'm going to suggest another one alongside that right that i feel therefore i am which i heard somebody say recently um see i think what happens with with the drama triangle is is we are looking outside of ourselves to make ourselves feel okay so uh, if i feel a victim i'm looking to somebody to rescue me make me feel okay if I feel I need to rescue you, that's so that I can I can feel OK that you're OK. You know, yeah. if I need to control or persecute you, it's so that I can control you and make everything OK that way. You know, and everything is it's all about how do I control the world outside me? And I think what you, what if if I'm catching you right, I think what happens is when we get stimulation that gives rise to some of the early I, to me sometimes it's terror of abandonment terror of loss that I might have felt very early on in life and and when you touch upon that I'm, I'm terrified of feeling that now if I can realize that that's something within me and I can let that be I can let you know I'd say to myself what's underneath my feeling here you know what is it that I'm needing there's something inside me if I can heal that then I can allow myself to be vulnerable and possibly allow you to be vulnerable too mm-hmm. and not feel I have to uh, break it to make it better yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. fix it to make yeah. it better, one, yeah. one or the other, you know, yeah. because I think that's often what we're trying to do, you know, unknowing to ourselves is I, I, need, I need to fix the world so yes. I'm better. Yeah. And that's
1: externalisation. I think you put that well because it is, for me, the externalisation of internal difficulties. Yeah. And a number of theories would talk about the two, two greatest fears. And you, you mentioned one there, the, the fear of abandonment. And the second one is the in fear of being engulfed or being overwhelmed mm-hmm. or being totally controlled by someone else. And in both cases, we could look outwardly and find ourselves in the drama triangle of rescuer, persecutor or victim. Or in both cases, we could look inwardly and say, this is human nature to have these fears. Mm. These fears are entirely fair and legitimate to have. But the way in which we can live with them with less fear and more acceptance is by recognizing they're part of being human. They're part of the human condition. They're not our fault. They would have been there anyway even if we had the most loving parents, the most loving experiences growing up, we still would have had these fears. Mm -hmm. And they still involve an internal process of acceptance, of care. I'm allowed to feel this way. Mm -hmm. And yet, it does not have to define me. I can have my feelings. My feelings don't have me.
0: Um, The therapist I worked with on some of this stuff um, would often say, She'd tune me into the body, help me to become aware of, of what was bubbling up and just say, name the feeling and I'm okay. So I'm feeling absolutely terrified or overwhelmed or threatened and I'm okay. And, and I don't have to cast it out there. I don't have to control something else. I, don't have to, I, can, I can let it be there. You know, and it's a really, really hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if you, if you give yourself, uh, again, you know, some of what I've learned through through some of the Buddhist teachings, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's idea of you see it as your baby. Yeah. You know, yes. and and what do you do with your your baby when it's screaming? Yeah. Well, you hold it first. Yeah. And you very often say it's okay. You know, yeah. you're you're there, sort of heating up a bottle. Yeah. And you're holding the baby on your shoulder and you're saying, it's okay, it's okay, yeah. it's okay. Uh-huh. You know, and I don't think we ever really stop needing that holding. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I think and I, th-
1: I think again within that as well, there is that sense that when I hold that baby, my love and my calm and my peace is bigger than all the distress you're feeling. Mm. And in time you're going to know that and see that and feel that. You might not right now, Mm -hmm. but in time you will. And I think it's almost like how we come to a place of trusting that even if initially we're not sure it's making such a difference, to really try to trust our love and our care over our fears and that I'm allowed to feel this way. To feel it differently is to meet the fear with acceptance uh, exactly as your therapist said i'm overwhelmed and i'm okay sometimes people try to imagine a recovery where it's zero tension zero sadness zero fear but really it's living with it differently Mm -hmm. transforms it and really shrinks it down in size for sure but it's still there
0: yeah the, the transforms piece i really like because i think what starts to happen, and I think I've both experienced this and seen it, is the energy becomes less toxic to others. I think you start to recognize it within yourself. You start to manage it. I don't mean suppress it and repress it and pretend yeah. it's not there. I yeah. mean actually manage it mm-hmm. and take care of it. And and then you find yourself feeling more energetic more positively energetic but it's still tough but part of becoming a fully fledged whole human adult is learning how to do this i think this is emotional intelligence at its core is learning how to recognize process and manage your your own so that you can realize when you have to set a boundary realize when caretaking is appropriate yes you know i don't think persecuting is ever really appropriate but maybe being controlling sometimes is Mm -hmm. which is a little bit like persecuting you know sometimes you might have to tell people there's a bomb in the building get out yeah you know (laughs) absolutely safety Uh, and and assertiveness of fairness yes you know
1: i think are important in this direction of controls Mm -hmm. and there is safety for children in Having clear rules and clear boundaries, so, yeah, yeah. So there, there is something. And there. and
0: and the victim positive intent, I think, is is being asked, are being able to ask for your needs to be met when mm-hmm. when you genuinely need them to be met yeah. by somebody else. You know, yeah. being able to accept help. Mm-hmm. You know, men of course are famous for for not being able to say I need help, uh-huh. um, and it's it's a great thing to be able to grow into that. Yeah you know um...
1: and within therapy one of the biggest helps we give is a supportive environment with space enough to explore space enough to to laugh some of the time and be light-hearted space enough to avoid a little bit space enough to confront when Mm. ready space enough to encounter and experience when ready and and in ways i think that that's the idea that yes help comes in so many forms and to allow the time for people to, to explore what are my health needs at this moment in time?
0: It's the great thing about um, that space is you feel safe that you can share this and I don't feel you're gonna have to rescue me. You know, because yeah. often, you know, I've I've had people talk to me about, People who are victims of, of abuse or something like that, or even I've even had it recently where a person was talking about her difficulties in work and said, You know, you're the only person I can talk to about this. Anybody else wants to tell me what to do or wants to save me from it, you know? Yeah. Um, and feeling like you can talk to somebody who isn't going to rescue you or isn't going to tell you what to do yeah. will give you space to feel it. And find your own solution yeah as best you can yeah you know well
1: this is it in trying to rescue I'm putting the person in a victim role and trying to control them maybe it is again affirming a victim role whereas yeah. meeting it and saying yeah okay I want you to I want to hear you out mm-hmm. I know that you probably have some emotions to express and get true and, and I think that's the thing about emotions In therapy, what we try to do is normalize them as much as possible and say, Mm -hmm. no, they're entirely valid and they're part of an understanding process. They're part of a healing process that we actually heal through them. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of the time people experience them and then draw back from them. And Mm -hmm. it leads us into where I see a lot of young people I'm working with just currently, one of the running themes, I have running themes at different times right now is the doing some very busy young people possibly post pandemic they're very busy doing and they have very little time for being Mm -hmm. and being you know can be true meditation true sitting in acceptance of my emotions and that they have validity sitting with someone who accepts me and allows that process to happen and allows me to explore and to kind of witness where i am sitting in big spaces we we talked about forests and Mm. mountains and seas where the time frame is different sitting under stars all of these experiences allow me to just be as i am and allowing myself to be as i am and slow it all down means i'm not caught in my roles anymore of what i do and did and my work and my family and everything else i just am in this space i feel a, a deeper wisdom emerges from there Mm -hmm. deeper understanding of of a self that has choices and a self that can accept the range of my experience the range of my reactions Mm -hmm. the range of others reactions
0: in 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 coaching they they talk about thinking space that in coaching you very often provide a thinking space for people but if you keep telling them what to do or you keep just asking questions and you don't allow silence Sometimes you don't give that thinking space. Um, I think one of the challenges I come across time and again is, is, is managers who I work with not allowing that thinking space. So somebody comes in with a problem and a very common thing for managers to do is to give them the solution and and it's a rescue uh, this is it i've heard that from
1: some of the people i work with who are relatively new in their careers working in large companies and they talk about solution focus and in therapy due to restrictions and limits in our work and how long we can work with people sometimes employment assistance programs and so on we talk about solution focused therapy as well which has its place for sure but i think Part of knowledge comes from a tolerance of not knowing. Part of the experience of dealing with a problem is actually sitting in the problem for a time and letting new learning come from that experience, not yeah. how, did, how do we get out of this, what's the quickest escape route, but how did we fall into it? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really, really important for future prevention. What does it feel like to be in this? What are the potential gains of being in this problem? Yeah. How could it inform the overall organization to do things differently? Yes. What are the messages here, more than just the solutions?
0: Yeah, it's, 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 it is, it's a big thing. And, and, and the doing thing comes into play in, uh, I see it in training, when you give um, something that needs a creative solution Okay, so you give a an exercise where they have to come up with some kind of creative solution to something, and even when you teach a group how to brainstorm, and you teach them to come up with as many ideas as they can in ten minutes, invariably, I would say nearly one hundred percent of the time, the group will go for the first or second idea, yeah. and then start doing.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, you know, so they'll say, oh, it only took us two minutes to come up with the idea, yeah. and then missing out on the fact that those extra minutes might have given them a much better quicker idea and in fact um, one exercise i'm thinking of it's often the wrong solution they've often come up with the wrong solution if they've yeah. taken more time yeah. to think yeah. um, and it, it's that compulsion to do and get done can really get in the way of our our, our best possible solutions sometimes yeah. I think our industrial
1: society, and even post-industrial, wherever we're at at this point in time, is so much treadmill, is so much conveyor belt, Mm -hmm. our education system and so on. It's get it done, do it now. Yes. And I think that that leads us in a place of anxiety where we are reactive and we have to come up with the answers as quickly as possible. When, if you think about something like fishing, you know with a fishing rod well you've got lots of time to contemplate and wonder are there different ways of casting are there different lures are there different you know things that you can do to alter the chances of this working out and that you accept that you may have to wait there for a while to get there and it's okay Mm -hmm. it's okay to do that but i think we're very much a doing society and in ways that negates the being and doing is reactive and coming back to our drama triangle, our drama triangle is a reactive doing. I am doing the victim, I'm doing the rescuer, I'm doing the persecuting. Yeah. When actually, if we look into the beings there, we see there's two people trapped yeah. often, or you know, in scenarios that, that really are far too limiting of their entire being.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we might need space to step out of that. To slow it down.
0: So once again, the uh, the you know one of the initial responses might be to bite your tongue, or take a breath, yeah. or yeah. pause yeah. before responding. Yeah.
1: You know these things are maybe outwardly looking like my obligations, but really could be chosen, mm. and I could choose to do some of these, and I could choose to do less of them.
0: Well, that's a really useful thing to do, isn't it? Is to acknowledge choice, you know, and even to go so far as to acknowledge at some degree I'm choosing to victim here, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm choosing to be a rescuer here. Now, is it the best choice? Uh Is it the best choice for me? Is it the best choice for the other? The place where this stands out the most for me is, is with children, with your children. Is at what point as a parent do you stop rescuing? Yeah. You know, because yeah. like it or not, the, the role involves rescue on and off at different times. But, you know, there's a certain point where you actually have to stop. And and that's a really tough one because it's going to vary with the child. It's going to vary with the parent, the situation, everything. But you can keep your children dependent forever, can't you? You can.
1: And I suppose the, a tripwire I hear even in what we're talking about is the idea that, okay, I can choose sounds for somebody who's already feeling like a victim oh i've chosen to be a victim and now i'm going to feel self-hate and the self-hate for choosing to be a victim locks me in the victim role again so i can choose to watch out for the self-hate coming Mm -hmm. in to defend the the triangle it's It's self-perpetuating self-defending tries to say well you know this is this is where i am so what I have seen in some of the the conversations around the uh, Cartman drama triangle is that the rescuer can move slightly away from that and become more of a coach, yeah, or more of a counselor, more of a supporter mm-hmm. of. Well, these kind of things might have worked for other people. How do they relate or not relate to your experience? Yeah, and provide a little bit more space for the person to make choices then. Yeah, because the rescuer says. No, I'm taking you out of this. But I'm also taking you out of choice. I'm taking you out of you having a say in what happens here. Mm. Persecute are the same.
0: And, and the, the, the part of the coaching that always is interesting, and, and, and to me it's where a lot of the work comes from, the solutions come from, is options. And, and you know one of the most common questions asked is, is what options do you have here? You know, and often we have so many more options than we realise. Yeah. And, and so just a little switch in the mind, you know, because that is really what a lot of counselling and coaching is about, is we, we ask a lot of questions. For sure. You know, and very often they're open questions. They're about possibility. Yeah. You know, what possibilities are available to you here? Uh-huh. You know, yes, one of them is to judge and self-hate, but another is to acknowledge, accept, value, be compassionate you know Mm -hmm. there there are different Mm -hmm. options even in your own mind there are different options an
1: option and choice are living as opposed to surviving yes and Mm -hmm. when it's surviving we're locked in well i have to see it this way i have to rescue Mm -hmm. or this person really needs to be you know put down for the way they're acting they're feeling sorry for themselves and i'm going to hate on them in a persecutory way so i think the way out of this is true an understanding and acceptance of choice and this is true also for people who find themselves in the rescuer mode again you mm-hmm. can choose instead of rescuing to outline for the person the, the options that they might consider yeah. yeah if you're in a position of persecuting others You might step back and say well okay why am i persecuting them it's because i'm not happy with how they're not dealing with something so i'm i'm angry with them okay can we turn that anger into challenging them can we more gently challenge them and say do you know uh, is there some form of uh, activity or some friends of yours that you might go off and spend an evening with them doing something like singing or dancing or something that you loved before, mm-hmm. could Could you be chale- could I challenge you to try some new things mm. and and in that challenge you know, let go of my, my fear that this person's always going to be a victim and I always have to tell them what to do
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I challenge them as gently as possible and then the victim moves away from that by becoming a, a creator and saying instead of this is how it is and this is how it always was. It's like, well, what are the possibilities I could look at, like you say, yeah. coming back to your, your generation? Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. So, so there, there are always alternatives. And that's the great thing about our creative minds is that we have one is a pattern that's been previously set up, almost pre-designed, pre-scripted. The other is we're writing the script ourselves yeah. and, and, it, yeah. and it becomes more a more creative process, more creative living. And within the
1: writing the script ourselves role, I believe it is bridged by emotional expression. Mm-hmm. So that's the caveat I, I put in here, that if we want to leave the drama triangle, it can be a painful process to leave it. There is sadness that has been unresolved for a long, long time in me maintaining this victim role that it's now time for me to experience with love and care and go through that experience towards a place of choice. If I'm in a place of rescuing all the time and I don't feel maybe that I've been fully appreciated for all the rescuing I've done, there's a sadness that I couldn't rescue enough, Mm -hmm. that my rescuing wasn't appreciated enough and that actually I wanted rescuing too. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that sadness might come in the persecutor might have to go through a sense of being angry with how the world doesn't live up to the standards I wish it could and I wish I could too. Yes. And I have to let go of those standards to some mm-hmm. degree and feel my anger and then my sadness around mm-hmm. that. So escaping the drama triangle I feel is emotionally challenging. Yeah. That's why I think it's good to have support like counselling mm-hmm. to, to help you get through that, to move beyond that to turn it from a role that is fixed for you into a tendency you may still have and live with more cautiously, more aware of and less being sucked into in the future.
0: That's great. It's a good wrap up, I think, Dermot. So, um, I think we'll, we'll leave it at that for today. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you again, Peter. Thank you, Dermot.